So, hello everybody and welcome to the seventh episode of Bright Garden Voices. My name is Diego Ardoan and I am one of the co-founders of this project. Uh, Bright Garden Voices is a grassroots initiative which provides a platform for um, constructive dialogue between Armenians and Azerbaijanis. We host online meetings where guests from both sides share their experiences and ideas relating to the Azerbaijani-Armenian conflict or any other matter related to the two nations. Our meetings are also include live interaction with our audience and the meetings are recorded and made available on YouTube and as a podcast afterwards. Bright Garden Voices is not affiliated with nor funded by any organization or government and it does not prepare to represent any nation, state or group. Today, Lied and Action will be replacing me as a co-host for this meeting. Uh, so I'd like to invite her to present herself. Hello, everybody. I'm really excited to be here. So my name is Liera, and I was actually not born in Armenia or Azerbaijan, but I was actually born in the um, in Dagestan in the Russian North Caucasus. But I lived in the uh, the U.S. most of my life. So a little background about me: I'm a marketer and a culture writer, and also a community organizer. And I founded a Facebook group called Kafkazi Jewish History and Culture, which focuses on preserving the history of mountain Jews or Juhuro of the Eastern Caucasus, including Dagestan and Azerbaijan. And I got involved in um, discourse on the Artsakh Karabakh conflict um, due to friends and group members who are affected by it. So I believe in dialogue and um, definitely would like to help uh, humanize each nation in the eyes of the other. So. Uh, I'm really excited to be here in general. And now I'll go ahead and give the floor to Ralph, my co-host, to introduce himself. Thank you, Lyra. Um, hi, everyone, and welcome to our seventh meeting. Uh, my name is Ralph Mamadov. I'm also from Azerbaijan. Um, I'm born and raised in, in Sumgait, Azerbaijan, but now residing in Washington, DC, United States. Uh, by profession, I'm I'm an energy expert. I work for think tanks and research organizations, and I specialize on energy geopolitics. But I'm passionate um, about building dialogue uh, between Armenians and Azerbaijanis. Um, I am a permanent co-host, hopefully permanent co-host in um, in the in the program. But I'm the last one to join Diego and uh, Arnold, and I replaced. Aidan, who was also the one of the three founders of the project, um, I, as, a, as an any Azerbaijani or Armenian who has gone through these conflicts, um, and in my uh, personal experience, I've gone through two wars. Uh, I believe that communication is key uh, to find solution resolution to the conflict. Uh, it's one of the factors that could uh, contribute and. Uh, that's why I'm passionate about the project and hopefully we'll have more than one platforms. Again, thank you. And uh, I will now like to give the floor to Arnold to introduce himself. Hello everyone, I am Arnold Alaverdian. Uh, I'm doing my PhD in history and I'm joining from the United States. Uh, I am one of the co-founders and co-hosts at uh, Bright Garden and I will just keep my introduction short since I've done it so many times. So moving on to today's episode. Uh, today's meeting concerns individuals of mixed Armenian-Azerbaijani backgrounds, 
Throughout the centuries, the Caucasus has been a melting pot of cultures, ethnicities, and languages. During the Soviet era especially, it was not uncommon for marriages between Armenians and Azerbaijanis to take place in Azerbaijan or Armenia. Such unions and the offsprings of such unions are still to be found in parts of the Caucasus and in various countries throughout the world. Our two guests today, both being part Armenian and part Azerbaijani in descent, describe their personal and family experiences and their views about the conflict. Now let us go to Rav for the agenda. Thank you, Arnold. Now, um, Diego introduced the, the project and we as moderators have already introduced ourselves. Now, um, let's move on to the discussion with our, uh, to the agenda of what we're gonna do. Uh, first, we will have a discussion with our guests. We'll ask them questions. Then we'll open the virtual floor for uh, to the audience for the questions. Uh, you can ask your questions in our chat, but uh, I would also encourage you to send your questions to Arnold, who is responsible for receiving the questions today. Um, at the end, uh, after the, the Q&A section will end the meeting with a few closing remarks. And lastly, the meeting will be recorded and made available online. If you don't want your name on record, you can use your first name or any, any other names that you would prefer. Um, that's about today's agenda. And let's go to Lara and Lara will um, talk about the house rule. Yes, so... Um... Are we going into the next slide for house rules? Yes, great. So as you can see on the screen, we have some uh, basic house rules for these meetings um, that I hope everybody will respect. Um, I'm sure everybody will, but we have to do this to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, so we do not tolerate insults, disrespectful language, generalizations about any ethnicity, and no denialism of trauma or events. Uh, we call for you to em uh, empathize with each other and not to accuse each other. Um, every participant is the only one responsible for what they say, and they are not here to represent their government or nation. Remember that we are not here to agree with each other, and it's more than okay to disagree. We're simply here to listen and engage with the um, dialogue here. So um, I'll now go on uh, into introducing our uh, two guests. So I'll introduce the first one. Um, so our first guest is Julian Sanders. Um, he's a PhD student and researcher in energy and environmental law. He's interested in politics, urbanism, and analog photography. Uh, Julian was born in Berlin, Germany to an Armenian and Azerbaijani mother and to a Jewish father. And I'll go ahead um, to Ralph for introducing our second guest, Marat. So our second hero is Marat. Uh, Marat was born in Baku, but raised in Seattle. Uh, he currently lives in LA, Los Angeles. Marat is 32. Uh, he's a billing analyst and a former philosophy student, uh, but currently back in the uh, University for Political Sciences. Um, he also has uh, roots in both ethnic groups, both he has, he's half Azerbaijani, half Armenian, and um, he has agreed to, to talk to us today and to share his history. I think uh, we'll, uh, we'll go to our, uh, the first, the quick, uh, first questions now. And um, I think it's my turn to uh, ask the first question. Uh, so the, what we're going to do is we'll ask the question to both 
our guests and uh, we'll have Marat answer first and Julian follow up on the same question. And, and so the first question is, so what is your family history, guys? Can you tell us more about, can you tell us about your background and about, you know, uh, your, uh, your ethnic background and your cultural background, please? Marat, go first. Thank you. Uh, once again, I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Um, so three out of four of my grandparents were born in Baku. Um, from my mother's side, my Azerbaijani side, um, my grand, both my grandparents were born in Baku, but each of their parents were from different places. Uh, so her father's parents uh, were from Agjabidi, and uh, her mother's side was from Shamaki. Um, my grandmother on my Armenian side uh, was, was born in Baku. Her parents had uh, migrated there shortly before that. Uh, they were actually Armenians from northwestern Iran uh, in the Karadakh uh, and Ardabil area. Um, and then my grandpa uh, from my Armenian side was the only one who wasn't born there. He was born in Artsakh in a small village in the Shushi province. He was born uh, in 1903. There's a very large gap between myself uh, and him. So he was uh, a teenager during the Russian Revolution. And uh, he ended up joining the Soviet army and working his way up uh, both through military and the party. So he ended up being moved to Baku uh, through, uh, through that and settling there. Uh, he had also served in World War II, so um, he had uh, worked a pretty good reputation for himself and position. And uh, so Baku is where he planted his roots uh, and uh, met my grandmother, of course. Both of my parents were born in Baku and raised there. Uh, they had always spoke fondly about Baku. I remember... Um, you know, I, I have friends from all over the former Soviet Union and they, uh, you know, there's certainly a variance in how some of our parents remember life in the USSR. So uh, while some of my friends would describe it in a bit more bleak terms, I remember always thinking, like, I, I never heard this part at all. Like it, it sounded a lot more positive from how uh, my parents described it. And that's really just how they were describing Baku. Um, my, um, my parents, I'd probably best describe them as uh, big city cosmopolitans uh, from the Soviet Union. Um, like I know my dad uh, loved living in Baku. He uh, was always very proud of Baku Armenians and their achievements there. And also just loved Baku as a standout Soviet city. Uh, so when they started dating in, uh, in maybe like the early 80s, 1983, uh, that at that time, their mixed ethnic heritage wasn't that big of a deal for the context of the Soviet Union. So uh, they, they had no reason to foresee what was gonna happen uh, by the end of that decade. So at that time, uh, probably wasn't even uh, any sort of thought. And uh, I was born in June of 1989. And of course, by then things had reached a fever pitch uh, in the city. So uh, my, my father and my grandmother, uh, his mom, had left Baku, I want to say like in December of, of 1989. Uh, so I was only just a couple months old. Um, I stayed back in Baku with my mom and my other grandmother. And for the next couple of years, we were back and forth between Baku and Moscow. Uh, Moscow is where my, my dad and grandmother left to. 
Um, and so we would come visit them every couple months or so. And um, we had already known we were immigrating to the U.S. at this point. So it was just uh, short visits. We'd come back and then uh, we were in Moscow permanently by 1992. And then in 1993, we came to the U.S., we were supposed to settle in Austin, Texas, actually, which is crazy for me to think about now. But um, my grandma had a friend who uh, was living in Seattle, and she let her know there's you know, a handful of uh, Bakken Sid that are settling in uh, Seattle, and you guys should uh, think about coming here. So she ended up sponsoring us, and we uh, came to Seattle. Uh, at Seattle's Armenian community was almost entirely Baku Armenians at that time. Um, and uh, it was it was a nice little uh, Bakinsi community. It was mostly Armenians. There were some Azerbaijanis. There were some uh, Gorski Jews. Uh, but I'll get into it um, on, on one of the following questions. But it was uh, just a great community to grow up in. That's a, that's a great journey. I actually heard that, you know, many Armenians had the same path when they were emigrating from Baku. It was, Moscow was the, like a transition point. And then from there, they just uh, went either to Europe or uh, to the United States. Thank you for- yeah. Somebody at Baku, Moskva, literally. Yeah, yeah, Baku, Moskva. <laughs> let's, let's, let's hear Julian's story. Let's see, let's see how, you know. Yeah. How, here. Um, I will try. I will try to be as detailed as, as Marat. But um, let's let's see. I have been. I, I was born 1993 in uh, in Berlin already in Germany. Um, that means already in the kind of in the middle of the 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 war. Um, my father. Uh, my father is Jewish. He comes from the I suppose well known in in, in Soviet circles, well known city of Odessa. Um, at the Black Sea, and um, that he is he's fully Jewish. Um, the grandparents were both born uh, shortly before the war, and then also were in evacuation when the the Nazis uh, were, were approaching. My um, my mother was born in Baku, as uh, I suppose for many people here in Ostamarat. My mother was born in Baku to uh, to other. Azerbaijani father and Armenian mother. Um, she, my grandpa, he has ancestry from, uh, from Shamakhe as well as Marat uh, has ancestry from Shamakhe. But he himself was um, already a second, no, nah, he himself was uh, born directly in Ishari Shahab in Baku, like really in the old town. And he also is a very emotional exactly about this old town and I, I really remember once there was a the formula one uh, race in 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 Baku old town and that's when my grandpa was sitting for hours at the television just to see this those uh, those pictures of the old town I very well remember that um, my grandma was also born in Baku her uh, her mother again that means my grand grandmother is uh, uh, actually from Goris, uh, Armenia. And uh, it's, it's quite, I would say, they had all very Soviet CVs, um, upper middle class. Uh, grandpa um, was also still here in Germany. He's now, now in, in pension, was a surgeon and uh, had, a, had a good job in, in, the, in the Baku um, hospital. Grandma, as, as also her father, um, 
was a lecture in, in history, Soviet history, history of the Soviet, uh, of the Communist Party. Um, and um, already the grand-grandmother uh, from Goris, she was uh, allowed as one of one, the first in the family to study. That is very, very long ago. I also cannot know precisely dated, but um, the family was, um, they were expropriated when uh, in, in, the, in the early Soviet uh, time in Armenia. And uh, first she could not study. And then after um, a law was, uh, the constitution was uh, changed in the Soviet Union. Also those people who were once the, the wealthy, the rich ones also were, were now able to study. So she was, she studied chemistry, in my opinion, when I think, uh, when I think how it was for women, and even here in Germany, where I am, that's quite impressive, I would say, for this time. Yeah, um, both grand-grandfathers participated in World War II, both my Azeri grand-grandfather and my Armenian grand-grandfather. There were no, <laughs> of course, in this time, they really had other things to worry about than uh, their national uh, issues uh, amongst the Azer Armenians and Azerbaijanis. Yeah, what is interesting, uh, also, Marat spoke about it. When they married, um, my grandma and my grandpa, there were, of course, in the family some, like, parents were not very happy, let's say so. But um, I, asked, I asked many questions on that, and it turned out the parents were simply not very happy because they, you know, they, they thought she shouldn't marry yet, she should study in, in general. This national issue, it was an issue, but it came on top. It came on top and it was not the decisive matter. And, um, in the end of the day, um, my grandpa and his mother-in-law, my grand-grandmother, had a very good relationship um, also till, till my grand-grandmother died in 1997. So this was really, this was really, it, it was always kind of hanging there, this national issue, but it also was never decisive and it was never separating in when it, when it, became serious. And when it became serious in 1990 in Baku, um, it was clear that everybody is leaving together and people left, um, as it seems here, untypically, but they left directly to Berlin where they had friends um, and um, settled then in some refugee camp here in, in, in Eastern Germany, the, what was some days before still the GDR and was currently, uh, currently in transition still got even GDR passports. And uh, then my parents met also in this camp because my father came from Odessa in 1990. And that's how I'm here. Yeah, I would say other issues will be covered, will be covered in the next questions. Yes, and as I see here, um, the pictures, I also um, have forgotten to say that the grand-grandfather's um, ancestry was from Shushi. They had to escape there in the, uh, uh, in the pogrom in 1920, which was part of a, uh, of, a of the same conflict a very, very long time ago, over 100 years ago. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Julian. And I can, I will have Lyra ask the next question, but I can already tell that you, both you and Marat have roots in Shamaki and Shushar, right? So you guys are double yearly or Zimlak as we Double yearly. <laughs> so Lyra, please. Double yearly. Okay. All right. Thank you for that, Ralph. Um, and thank you to both Marat and Julian for uh, your really detailed um, answers. I think we really get a nice uh, picture about both of your family histories and, and a little bit of the nuance between the, the relationships in your family. So the next question is, um, how do you identify 
So how do you identify and has the way that you identified changed with your age, experience, um, and also where you're located? Because we also have um, Marat is in the US on the West Coast and Julian uh, grew up in Germany. So um, maybe if we can have uh, the same structure so Marat uh, can answer the question first and then we can go to Julian. Yeah, of course. So um, I'll say from an American perspective, uh, my identity can be kind of fluid. Um, growing up, um, and even somewhat in my adulthood, I was always seen as a Russian kid by Americans. Uh, and I can kind of understand that. I mean, if you ask some of my old coworkers back in Seattle, uh, to this day, they'd probably just say I, they thought I was Russian. Uh, because, you know, someone has Russian clientele, uh, whenever we have Russian customers, they come and see me. So they just think, okay, that guy's just Russian. Um, but uh, even growing up, I um, it, in Seattle, as I mentioned, it, it's, it's not LA, of course, right? There's not a, a large Armenian uh, community. Uh, we had a small Bakinsik community, and, but a fairly larger uh, general Russian-speaking former Soviet uh, community, and we kind of fit into that. So a lot of my friends came from there. Uh, and so from an American perspective, I was just seen as uh, generally Russian, right? But um, in terms of my own identity uh, from, from my own eyes, when, when I was a kid, um, well, first I'll say nowadays, I'll just identify as both. Uh, if, someone, if I'm speaking to someone who's familiar with the region, I'll just say both. If I'm speaking with an American, uh, outside of LA, it's like a 50-50 shot. They even know Armenia. So then you think, okay, is it even worth it to get into Azerbaijan? Probably not. So you just leave it at one. But um, I, I identify as both. When I was a kid, uh, the cool thing was uh, within our community, this was the early 90s, right? So this was right in the thick of the first war. Uh, but it speaks to when people immigrate to a new country, um, you're just trying to find your footing. You're trying to find a social network. Uh, I'm not trying to say that people just were completely colorblind in our community about who was Armenian, who was Azerbaijani. No, of course not. But nationalism did not dictate the relationships people had. Uh, none of the families were like, oh, hey, his parents are Azerbaijani. You can't hang out with him. Uh, none of that happened. We all went to the same weddings. We all went to the same house parties and gatherings. Uh, we all had uh, kebab and hashlama on the table. Our parents listened to boka and chanson music, all the same. So anyway, what I'm saying is when I was a kid, I remember just thinking everybody was Armenian because that was my understanding of what that identity was. Um, I remember it was actually uh, some time had passed before I was old enough to realize, oh, this person's actually not even Armenian, they're Azerbaijani, or this person is Gorski Jew, or that person is Lesgin, um, because it, uh, we, we all just were the same. We, um, we were part of one community, and we were all just Bakinsiv. So um, in terms of my identity, I, uh, it, it wasn't so strongly nationally driven. Um, I remember at some there was an age when my grandma uh, took me to Armenian church a few times. We weren't really a church going family, but she just wanted me to engage with um, kind of direct Armenian culture. Uh, and so that was her way of doing it. Uh, but beyond that, it was largely unspoken. And so all these years 
you know, um, the, for all the people that moved from Baku in the early 90s in Seattle, the kids all knew each other. Our parents were all friends. Uh, everybody did business with each other, business partners, or um, just helping each other out. Uh, so it was, uh, it was just a great community and uh, wonderful to, to be a part of. And so thank you for that, um, Marat. Um, so we'll go ahead and move um, on to Julian to, again, the, the questions are, how, are you, uh, how do you identify and has that changed uh, with your age, experience and location? Before I forget it, um, I have here kind of the, the privilege to speak after Marat so I can already, uh, how to say, inter interact. Uh, for me, it was exactly the opposite actually in my childhood. I, after thinking that everybody is, I don't know, Jewish, which was obviously my father's part. On the other part, I was thinking that everybody's from Baku and everybody's Azerbaijan. Um, as a child, I did not understand the complexity, honestly, of my ancestry. And still, if I describe it to somebody here in Germany, where I'm currently living, I'm from Berlin. Now I'm currently living in Bavaria, which is even more homogeneous. Like people are mostly German after all. And when I describe this, uh, Jewish and, and, and Armenian and Azerbaijani, and people are rather confused, and it's difficult to it's difficult to, to understand and to imagine, and, and where is that even? And I suppose you guys in the US have the same issues. Um, but uh, I myself, yeah, I grew up um, I grew up in a in a Turkish influenced neighborhood of my city, and and I didn't even understand that I do have something in common also with those people here who speak Turkish. Kind of um, that all came way later, and um, I would say if I had to describe, yeah, first I thought we were of course from outside perceived as Russians because we're we're we are where and are all Russian speaking at home, both my father's part. Um, okay, somebody spoke Yiddish there, but that's a long time ago. And on my mother's part uh, as well, they were all Russian speaking. Um, and um, we have fought a lot against that. And I have fought a lot against this perception of Russian because that's not even, I don't see it as bad, but we are not Russians. Um, but uh, yeah, then I first thought that uh, I'm Jewish. Um, then I thought that everybody on my mother's side is Azerbaijani. And then later I only started to really discover all those, those uh, yeah, the, complex uh, lines and, and differences and also discovered this Armenian part um, of my family and of my ancestry and of myself. And um, also I managed also to get contact with uh, Armenian relatives uh, thanks to thanks to internet and social media, which, uh, which appeared simply, you know, and then it was not anymore um, half of month's salary to call somebody in Yerevan, but one could just write. The same connection to my relatives in Azerbaijan, who still are there, I don't have, but it's rather to family issues. And uh, that's a pity, but it's like, again, has nothing to do with, has nothing to do with nationality and so on. Um, here in Berlin, the community is small, um, even though we are a very, very mixed uh, city. Um, the, exactly the Armenian and Azerbaijani communities are small and people rather know each other. My grandparents have, uh, have friends uh, who are, Azerbaijanis and it has never played a role and it has never played a role even though they, they have become friends exactly in the 90s that means only some few years after this whole war and yeah and if I now think of that that's very interesting and um, that's that's that, that's impressive um, but I also should cannot deny that there were some pressure that there were some issues there there was conflict 
Um, but you know, um, it got better again. It got worse. It got better. Mm, now I do feel. I think identity is also a bit shaped by what you encounter in life. And I had some uh, had some unpleasant moments when when a, when a Turkish girl from my school, with whom, whom I was quite good, honestly, started to deny the genocide, and I was like, okay, we shouldn't move on speaking now and this was a bit disappointing personally disappointing i would say this also contributed a bit to my armenian identity and and uh, this current war certainly did um did too and uh, i always say yeah maybe when i was uh, when i was in the same age in the 90s maybe it would have all been totally different because you know then the conflict was was a uh, it, it went a different direction and and, uh, and the, the the sides the power was differently distributed. But I think in the end of the day, I identify more Armenian than Azerbaijani, which has nothing to do with my connection to my grandparents. It's equal, um, but maybe it's simply the solidarity inside me because this Armenian side was always poorly represented in my family. Yeah, that's in a nutshell. That is it in a nutshell. Thank you for that, Julian. And you touched on something that, that I was um, a little bit curious about was you both uh, described your, your childhoods and how the, that identity you know, grew as you got older, but I was curious about kind of the last year with the recent flare-up, if anything had changed and, and you touched um, on that um, pretty well. So um, that was really interesting to hear. So thank you to you both. Um, yeah. I'll go ahead um, and move over to Ralph in the interest of time. Yeah, and, and we'll come back to the last year, I think in, in the next questions. And yes. We'll, yeah. so, but I just wanna say that you're, both of your lives are subject for uh, for uh, for detailed research, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the fact that you guys are are are, are so educated and, and consciously living and experiencing this it's it's amazing, and there are a lot of things for us to learn as well. Uh, being an immigrant, and you know, especially in my case. Uh, I have a, I have two kids growing up in a in a different society, so identity matter always comes. But I'm I'm gonna get to the next question, and I'll have you guys uh, elaborate on that. Um, this is more about your daily life. How how has you know being of mixed heritage influenced your your life uh, in, in in you know your daily life? And uh, could you please talk more about that? Um. So I. I was thinking, um, and I, I'm not sure how much it's influenced my daily life, like just day to day. Um, I mean, uh, oh, this is a picture of my uh, grandparents and dad. Uh, the, in the first picture, you have my grandparents to the right, and the little uh, kid is my father. Um, on the picture on the right, that's also my dad as a toddler uh, with my grandma. Um, but back to the question, um, it's like in regards to the conflict, I think being mixed, uh, even from a young age, because my parents didn't necessarily shield me from it. I was well aware of the context of the way we left and why we left and what was going on. Uh, but that helped me even from a young age, look at the conflict um, as a political one, rather than uh, a civilizational clash between you know, two people that are mortal enemies that uh, you know, we'll, we'll never get along uh, because, you know, in my own home, my mom, and dad get along here in our, in Seattle, we have friends that are uh, both Armenian and Azerbaijani. So growing up in that, you, you don't grow up thinking these two people are just always going to be at war. 
Um, but in terms of like on a personal level of the way it influences me, I don't even know if it's being ethnically mixed or uh, just my philosophy training, but I've always uh, just looked for the gray area uh, in everything. Um, and even in my own studies, as I get older from politics and history, I am very skeptical of one-sided narratives. Uh, so I would say that that's the biggest uh, influence on me. That's a major issue in this conflict because you have two communities that are very insulated from each other. Um, and that's even the case in the online discourse. There's just not a whole lot of engagement or personal experience. Um, so what happens is you create uh, an echo chamber um, and these uh, perpetuate into unquestioned narratives that each side has. And so then when there are attempts at dialogue, they're looked down upon because they're seen as a disgrace or capitulation. Um, and that's why a platform like this uh, catches flack because uh, people are either uncomfortable with hearing things that may challenge their narrative um, or they just look at it as giving in. So I give uh, Ralph and Arno all the credit in the world. I know that in these two countries, it's not easy to be seen as someone who's uh, open to dialogue um, unless it's, you know, the other person is just ready to take their pants off and roll over and say, you guys were right. We were the ones 100% wrong, you know, and that's just unrealistic. I, I don't think it's fair to set the standard as uh, you have to be completely lacking in any sense of national pride before I can even think about talking to you, so. Thank you for for the credit. Uh, and Aidan, of course, Aidan the, was the one who started yes. it, and also credit to her and Diego for, for organizing it. Please, Julian, now. Um, in matters of time, uh, Marate said a lot of very good stuff and um, a lot of stuff I just agreed to, and I see the same. Um, I think, I mean, the question is, how does it influence you? And I think it, it makes you. Yeah, yeah, here we see some um, pictures. Um, on the left, there's my grandma um, with me. And on the right, there's my grandfather with me in, in the same flat in, in Berlin um, in 1995 or something. Um, I think it may, I think it, constitutes you as a person and um, I cannot imagine it otherwise. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm a bit envious of people who, you know, are not mixed um, because it makes stuff a bit easier, you know, like it makes stuff really easier, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it makes it better, but, um, but you're in the con you know, what's a dilemma then like you, you really know because, because to some part you also are the personification of it. Like you're, you're constantly living it. And, and I also know it my grandparents, um, they, uh, they also always lived like a bit and live still antagonistic, uh, like, and, and when they, and when they really met each other, then they can also, I don't know, use the, use some nation nationality, uh, yeah, concerned uh, in, insult or something like that, that really happens. And, um, but on the other side, I, but that's kind of also touching the fourth question, is of course a blessing also and um it's difficult to explain to people and and um yeah and for me of course comes also that i'm here in germany and i was born and raised here in germany and i also cannot not say that i'm also identifying very much as a german 
like uh, I grew up in this mentality and socialized here. So how there's there's a lot of, uh, of stuff mixed in and and um, yeah, that simply is me. Seems like I'll there's a lot of a, a big way that you can kind of view all of the different nuances of, of each of your I identities. Um, and Julian, I'll, I'll take that cue kind of to go into the next question since you, you did touch on uh, question number four, which is, um, have you had any sort of inconveniences for being mixed? And what would you think are some aspects um, of the, uh, some of the positive aspects of it? And I know that we started with Julian because he, um, started to touch on it, but let's go back to Marat real quick and um, then move over back to Julian. So any sort of specific details about um, inconveniences? We've kind of talked broadly about it, but if you have some examples from your life that would maybe offer us some insight. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is a question I very often get um, because uh, that's, that's how people perceive uh, somebody from, that's being Armenian Azerbaijani. Uh, to uh, as what what they're um, very facing very often uh, in a home like that. Uh, my parents fight, but not for being Armenian Azerbaijani. They fight because they've been married for thirty five years. Uh, so thankfully, uh, it, it it doesn't come to that. Sometimes there are jokes thrown, um, or as, as Julian mentioned, you know, it that's uh, that's a little gun. That's a bullet in the holster that you can always throw out there, but. Uh, but it doesn't happen that much. And when it does, it's pretty benign. Um, my, uh, in terms of inconveniences, living in LA, uh, people are always shocked to hear that I never have any inconveniences. Uh, it's really only online where the, <laughs> the people are rude about it. But in, in LA, um, you, people are very cool about it. Uh, I would say it's mostly a generation thing. So people who are 35 or 40 years old and up, they aren't that, or, or people that grew up in the Soviet Union and understand what the demographics of it were, was in the big cities. It's not really that shocking or surprising to them, or they don't think that much of it. It's usually people that are younger than me who are like, what, how does that work? Or how did that happen? Um, but when I, meet people here or talk to people here um whether it was my in-laws or just all the friends and acquaintances i uh, met uh, in la uh, or other places uh people are you know they'll ask about it they're kind of curious but it's it's never really that big of a deal if anything sometimes uh, older people will start off by telling me a positive experience they've had with an azerbaijani which you know they don't have to do but i've always appreciated it because i just saw it as their way of uh, telling me they're not gonna, they're not hostile towards me um, for uh, for that, uh, and it speaks to kind of um, on a human level. You know, it we we as humans are wired to treat people well, right? We um, if someone's in front of us, uh, they're being polite to you. It's it's evolutionary. You, you know, you uh, why would you be rude to them? It's just simply a smart survival strategy to treat people well that are treating you well. It's online where it's different because online you are no longer a sentient being in front of them. You're just a name on a screen. And at that point, you're not a person that's in front of them that you're directly dealing with. You, it's very impersonal. And now you represent an idea or a collective. So uh, the interactions online and in person are very different. 
So um, that anyway, that's my experience kind of in my adult life. In terms of actual inconveniences, I'll have to talk about when I was a toddler in Baku uh, because of what was going on at the time. Uh, so when I think of inconveniences uh, for me, the, the most serious ones are, are, are from that time. So when we were traveling between Baku and Moscow, we, um, I, my mom would practice with me so that if anyone asked me my name, I would say, which is my mom's last name. Uh, so th uh, there was already fears about stuff like that. Uh, and so uh, these were you know, very real concerns. And so they, they took steps like that to make sure uh, nothing happened. So um, another, and these are kind of funnier, but actually just extremely serious, you know, despite being funny. But my grandma, my Armenian grandma, she would always say Janit uh, Mata to me. That's just a phrase that she used. And, um, you know, as a kid, you learn a phrase and you repeat it. So uh, on one particular time, we're flying to Moscow from, from Baku. And on the plane, I just decide to start repeating this phrase over and over. So we're on a plane full of Azerbaijanis. And my mom's, you know, three-year-old kid is just repeating an Armenian phrase over again loudly. Uh, so that, that was one that my my parents always tell me because that was just, just speaks to how insane the atmosphere of that time was um, another time uh, and Rauf you'll, you'll like the story uh, I my mom was at the dentist and I was there uh, with her and I was just sitting on a chair while she was being worked on and uh, an Azerbaijani man was kind of sitting nearby and he's asking me hey uh, uh, like little boy are you are you Azerbaijani and uh, my mom is like nervous because I mean, she can't even talk because they're working like in her mouth, right? And so I'm just sitting silent. I'm not even responding to him. And he goes, I, I said, do you, do you speak Azerbaijani? Are you Azerbaijani? And I'm still silent. And uh, finally he gets mad and he's like, hey boy, I'm talking to you. Do you speak Azerbaijani? And I just say, yo. Uh, so that's, I told him no, but in Azerbaijani. So uh, the uh, stories like that, you know, I, I've always heard them a million times growing up but now like especially with how the conflict flared up again I think about that and just what a crazy uh, time that was and how risky it was for my mom um, uh, at, at that moment uh, but yeah I mean thankfully we were able to escape that and then everything else since then had just seemed so small and uh, compared to stuff like that. Wow I think I think that really kind of paints a really broad and very interesting detailed picture about, about that point in time, but also kind of, you know, the innocence of a child juxtaposed against this much wider conflict that, you know, you cannot, um, you know, control in any way. Um, so Julian, um, we'll go over to you. So any, you did touch on those inconveniences that you have of being mixed. So if you can give us, um, some um, insight on that, and then also maybe some uh, positive aspects of being mixed as well in your answer. Well, I don't have such uh, re real life stories. This is here my mother, and on the other picture, it's my grandmother, the one from Goris, uh, about whom my mother always says that I got my Armenianness or my Armenian side from her. Um, inconveniences. Mm. In the family, uh, it's pretty clear um, that 
once there is tension between Armenia and Azerbaijan, um, there is also tension in the family. Why is that? Because um, my mother identifies more Armenian and her brother and my uncle identifies more Azerbaijani. There is a, they are in a very, they're in a very good relationship, sister and brother, but when this comes up, there is something not pleasant. And this is an inconvenience. And uh, this inconvenience also, it, it, goes, it goes, goes kind of down to me because I'm also perceived in my family as more the, the, the Armenian uh, one, one could say so. And um, my, now, it, now it gets really, really interesting and really funny or yeah, you don't expect, but my grandma who is actually Armenian from Baku. She sympathizes with the Azerbaijani side way more than my grandpa. That's now this, the, the, that's the thing. And then it gets really, really tense with me and her because she sees in me somehow, I don't know, the, 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 grand, grand, the grand grandson of her mother. And, and then, then, then she just says, yeah, you're so one-sided. And I'm also like fighting against that because actually I'm really, I, I've tried throughout my whole life not to be one-sided because inconveniences. Um, when this happens, um, then, you know, I have more uh, Armenian context and Azerbaijani context for the reasons which I already gave. Like there are simply family issues, and um, and uh, in such a way, I met more Armenian people. Also, I also met more Armenian people um, in, in in Germany, um, which is again because well, that's there are Azerbaijani groups, really student groups, and um, there is um, they're 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 rather political, and I did not really want to, to be involved in that. And now, as maybe some some of you have heard, there are also scandals with German politicians getting money from from Aliyev and such stuff. And I also know that those circles were involved in that. So I am now quite happy that I haven't involved. And so, but that also leads to the fact that I know more Armenians. And then when such a conflict starts, and you know when. When one tries to take a stance which is uh, which is which is diplomatic, which is which is both sided somehow, which is empathic, then it gets again tense with the Armenian friends. So you're hated by the one, you're loved by the other, and opposite. And um, this is a bit difficult to bear um, over a certain period of time. But you know, there are also there are the positive aspects, and the positive aspects are simply for me that um, that I firstly I see that it can work. I have uh, experienced that, you know, um, people can um, be married, people can be friends and it works. And I know that and nobody can deny that because I am here and I can tell you that it is so. I'm also open, um, I'm open to information uh, which will give me the full picture about any uh, historical or political uh, yeah, affair or, or, or fact um, or yeah, aspect. And um, I think that when people are, you know, full Armenian and even live in Armenia, and that's what my relatives are, they are not. They are not because they are totally living in a totally different atmosphere. They are, they are identifying totally differently and they're simply not open to this particular piece of information, which would make them think, but they don't, they cannot, they don't want um, because they are where they are. And that's something which, of course, I don't have. And that, again, is... That, that is that is good that is that is positive you know that is a, a real blessing for me yeah well thank you julian uh i wish we had more grandmas like yours uh with you know first of all open-minded 
and you know trying to be balanced and within the family and i like how she confronted you actually you know I respect, deep respect to, to her um now we're gonna move to the most recent events and the, the uh, unpleasant of course especially for you guys i know how i i can just i cannot imagine how tough it was on you because you know you have roots in both uh, ethnic groups but could you please elaborate uh, how the, the the most recent, uh, I mean, in general, how the Nagorno-Karabakh uh, impact, conflict impact you, and especially the most recent experience. Um, what perceptions do you have of it uh, in general and how it affected you? Marat, you go first. Yeah, sorry, I was muted. Um, so, I mean, usually I'm not, uh, I, I hate saying that it's impacted me because the real impact has been on the people that, that live there that um, have been displaced or people that have died or people that had their loved ones uh, go into the war. Uh, that's the real impact, right? I'm only tangentially connected to the conflict. I'm just a guy who happens to be half and half. But, um, you know, in terms of what things that's changed, you know, I, uh, I always talk about how my experiences uh, with Armenians have, has been positive and I've never felt any type of way about sharing that I'm half Azerbaijani uh, here in LA. But uh, when the war started, uh, this was probably the second week of this recent war. And, and so one very common thing that happens to me here in LA is uh, I, you know, I live in a particularly Armenian area and I'll go into uh, say an Armenian bakery or an Armenian uh, pizzeria or anything. And because I look Armenian, they'll just instantly greet me in Armenian and then I'll apologize and say, I'm sorry, I don't speak Armenian, you know, Russian or English. And then they'll ask me, how come? And so I get into my background and anyway, that's that's always been what, what happens. And so in the second week of this war, uh, I go into a Armenian uh, pizzeria and the same thing happens. And me, I'm just on autopilot. I've, I've had this conversation thousands of times. So I just go ahead and say it. And I was like, oh, shit, in my head. Because I was like, maybe this was not the right time to get into that. And uh, no, I mean, it, it was still fine. I mean, he uh, ultimately said, uh, you know, just, just spread awareness about the war. Um, I mean, ultimately, Armenians, you know, they, uh, they're kind uh and, and decent and you know, they'll give you respect if you show respect it's uh you know that it shouldn't be surprising uh but i guess uh it, it, it even still is uh as to how that conversation went but uh anyway i think the impact of the war um on somebody like myself is to reevaluate um how we want our countries to succeed uh it's you know you you think about do you, you want the country to modernize uh, and and prosper in a real way, uh, to thrive economically or to be uh, politically and democratically free, uh, to raise the, uh, the standard of living for its people, or do we want to just cling on to nationalistic quests to one up each other in every conceivable way, whether it be in territory um, or displacement of people, or you know the petulant mudslinging that that goes on online. Um, do we want to have a country where teenagers that are in school now um, are thinking, okay, well, when I'm 18, I'm very likely going to be in the military and seeing armed combat. 
Um, so I, I don't think it's a recipe for successful countries. I think it's a recipe for an entire generation that grows up thinking, okay, how am I going to immigrate out of here? Uh, so I, um, yeah, I, I just want, uh, I, I want the war to put this conflict into, into perspective. It's for both countries, you know, since the year 2000, both countries ruling parties gained legitimacy um, by virtue of this conflict. You see it in Armenia with Kocharyan um, in the early 2000s and the same thing with Ilham Aliyev coming into power in Azerbaijan. Uh, that conflict uh, was the building block uh, to both countries turn into uh, the bad regimes that they had. So uh, I just want um, you know, both countries to do well and to, to do well by uh, being part of a tide that raises all boats. Uh, an issue here is that this conflict is very much treated like a one, uh, zero sum game, where the only way we succeed is if those guys completely fail into oblivion. And that is the only way we can do well. Uh, that's a very medievalist way of thinking. Uh, the rest of the world is modernizing and globalizing and becoming more interconnected. And I want to see this part of the world uh, join in on that. Now, this is going to be a more, and feel free not to answer it, Marat, but did you ever, throughout the conflict, especially the second conflict, because you were, you know, you're already adult, did you discuss it in the family or was it like a taboo to discuss it within the family? Oh, no, it's not taboo at all. Uh, we, there, there's no uh, nationalistic issues within my family. Um, and in fact, my dad probably discusses it uh, too much uh, every minute of every day. Uh, but my dad is very personally uh, affected by the conflict because his father was born uh, in Artsakh, like I mentioned, and the village where he was born is, you know, the new borders that have been drawn out. That line basically runs through that village now. So uh, for him, it was on a personal level important that that village uh, stays Armenian. So he's been um, affected on a lot um, on a lot more of a deeper basis than uh, say myself, where I just really want the, um, the countries to move forward, to uh, have, a, have a, an agreement on terms of what land belongs to who, what, because if we're just gonna continue disputing this square kilometer, uh, this border, this border markation, this is just gonna go on and on and on and on in perpetual uh, uncertainty. Um, uh, but for my dad, he has that personal connection where he was distraught because of where that uh, village fell and because he, for him, uh, the Artsakhsi identity is uh, almost preeminent to the Armenian one. Uh, uh, he's very connected to, to that area. Um, as for my mom, she's not particularly nationalist. She, same thing, she would just want the countries to do fine. Uh, it wasn't very important for her that uh, Azerbaijan uh, won this land back um, or uh, that uh, this was you know, made even um, or, or that they had this victory. Thank you, Marat. Julian? Um, well, how was I? Well, it was horrible, let's say so. Um, I was particularly shaked by the brutality of the conflict which um, sadly also was widespread through all the social media telegram and so on and i have really um 
I'm not living in Armenian area as we in Germany don't have Armenian areas uh, at all. So I'm kind of more or less detached um, from Armenians and Azerbaijanis likewise, apart from family. Um, and normally don't spend so much time also thinking about my identity, about Armenia, about Armenians, about Azerbaijan and Azerbaijanis. And, um, and at this moment, when such a conflict is there, you're suddenly pushed or pulled back, kind of, you feel pulled back, you're, you're constantly there, you're constantly involved. Um, this conflict, I can say it openly, I was uh, really, um, yeah, uh, I felt that Armenia is under, I felt the Armenians, not Armenia, the Armenians are under attack, and that, that's, that's, that's uh, how I felt and was really mad. And it's also a reason why I'm now here, because I do think that, uh, after all, what matters is that um, people speak with each other and that both sides can speak with each other. Um, in my family, as I already said, it immediately led to tensions, um, not between my grandparents, as one would expect, but uh, on other lines. Um, they both are, yeah, they both are on more or less one page, what concerns that. Um, Marat has stressed the political, the inner political perspective, both in Armenia and Azerbaijan, and what I what I would like to stress and what I also suffered or what, what made me suffer was the outer political perspective, actually. I felt that, um, I felt that Turkey is, is having a great interest. I felt that the Russians are having a great interest. Um, the Iranians, as it, as it seems, not so much in this time, but I, it made me suffer that exactly because of some, you know, because because Erdogan no wants uh, to, to uh, fulfill some of his dreams or promises. Now this is happening. And the same as, as Russia to, I don't know, to also influence a development inside Armenia is acting in a specific way, you know. But on the other side, um, on the other side, what I also know is that it is, uh, it, 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 it would make stuff better if, if uh, nobody openly intervened helping one side uh, that's what th this is what happened i suppose in both conflicts one, once on the armenian side now on the azeri side you know um me personally yeah um we could see a wave of aggression from turkish people here in germany when when the conflict was on on, on peak um i cannot I cannot say that I personally felt now in danger, which has to do with the fact that I'm not 100% involved and look at my surname, well, neither Azerbaijani nor Armenian surname, my father's Jewish surname. Um, but of course it is intimidating and um, just glad that, glad that it's a different situation now. For me, it's always easier to judge. I'm here in Germany, I'm not there. Yeah, that I also must say, I'm here in a very privileged situation, um, both from my mixed ancestry and from my location, simply. But um, what made me feel very sad, of course, is this, um, that we are, that we lost again some 30, 40 years. That's what I, that's what I feel about it, honestly. I, in school times, I've written like some kind of bigger high school work on the conflict and, and, I was thinking a lot about it and it was also the first and biggest time I was somehow involved with it before the war now and I thought let's give give it time you know there's the generation which was directly involved in the war which was directly fighting and 
and they will they will get old and, and the new generation will come and this new generation maybe they will not want it anymore and and um, peace is always better like a bad peace is better than a good war and um and this we lost because there's now a new generation which has exactly the same and this of course is, is of course a rather set a rather set result but yeah that's why we're here <laughs> Thank you for both of those answers. Um, we'll go ahead now and move on um, to the final question. And um, we think we're going a little bit over on time, but um, we'll go ahead with this one and hopefully end on a more, more positive note. Um, so by having personal insight into both cultures, um, what do you both think um, the other side can learn from, the, uh, from each other? And um, what is your view on coexistence? So I know that we, we've kind of been talking about coexistence the, the entire time, but kind of to sum up um, your views about maybe what Armenians can learn uh, from Azerbaijanis and Azerbaijanis can learn from Armenians and, and how can we fuse these um, cultures? Um, what can we take away from both of them? So Marat, uh, you can go first. Right, um, so I'll, I'll answer the, the second question first. Um, <laughs> That's a nice picture. Um, for in, in terms of coexistence, uh, coexistence won't be soon, um, and and that's okay. Over time, it will come. Um, I know we live in the moment, and we um, for people that are experiencing it, they feel like you know this this is about as bitter and hateful of a conflict that's ever existed, but it's really not. Uh, and I don't mean to say that to diminish what's happened in this conflict. It's just. Uh, the history, or the, the story of world history is long and it's had a lot of terrible events and uh, things happen, but the world keeps spinning uh, and eventually uh, countries move on for the sake of the success of their own country. Um, you know, Ger Germany's had territory uh, disputes as well. Uh, I mean, Julian, you know, I'm sure you're aware since you live there, but at some point they had to let go of Alsace and Lorraine and Northern Poland and the Sudetenland, if they were gonna move to forward uh, as a country um, and, and, and prosper in, in the way that they have. Um, but uh, normalization of relations is not gonna be led by people like myself or Julian. Um, and that, I don't mean us as individuals, I just mean people like us in the diaspora. Uh, normalization can't be led by people who have nothing to lose or nothing to gain by a normalization of relations. We live in the West. We, uh, in fact, people in the diaspora probably see it as something to lose because it hurts their own uh, nationalistic ego uh, by the idea of not, uh, normalizing relations. Um, the normalization will uh, be led by the people, the citizens of those countries who recognize the benefits of doing that. Um, there are no benefits for us in the diaspora. Well, there might be some, you know, if you're doing business or whatever, but it's going to be the business leaders of those countries who uh, see the benefits in, in working together. Uh, it's going to be the parents of those countries who uh, want their kids to be able to pursue their dreams or marry their sweetheart or uh, study in university and not have to have the cloud of an impending war uh, be hanging over them um, for the sake of uh, the, the country's national ego. So um, that, that's, the, that's the process that'll happen there for, for the countries to normalize. It won't happen tomorrow, it won't happen next week. 
may even take more than a decade um, or, you know, are in our children's lifetime, uh, but uh, it, it'll come at some point. Um, in terms of what Armenians and Azerbaijanis could learn from each other, I'll try to speak to, to each side. Uh, what I've seen online is that these are two communities that don't know that much about each other, actually. Uh, this goes to when I was speaking earlier, how they're very insulated. Uh, these are uh, two sides that have uh, had a steady diet of their own narratives um, and uh, not had uh, any sort of uh, counters to it. And now, you know, they're, they're unable to really step out of, out of their own narratives. But basically, um, you know, I, I would like to see some sort of movement in terms of understanding each other. You know, for, um, for Armenians, uh, I'd like Azerbaijanis to understand the uh, existential dread that goes with being Armenian. Um, as Armenians, when we were young, we learn about the long history of Armenia um, as just uh, an ancient people that have been here from a very long time ago. When you learn about the great empires of antiquity, like the ancient Persians, ancient Greeks, and the Romans, uh, Armenia was there and had a seat at that table. Um, so when we learn about that, and then we look at Armenia on the map now and uh, compare it to the uh, recent history, uh, as in the last hundred years, the beginning of the 20th century, uh, there's a collective chip on our shoulder uh, in, term, uh, in terms of how we perceive uh, the trajectory of where our existence has been going. So I'd like to see a bit more sensitivity or understanding when um, Armenians uh, are, uh, are accustomed to thinking the worst when it comes to war, when it comes to territory disputes, when it comes to their position um, between the countries that they're in between. Now for Azerbaijanis, uh, you know, there's this narrative um, that, uh, that is used to belittle them uh, in this conflict. Uh, even though it has nothing to do with modern geopolitics, uh, there's a cope that's used that Azerbaijanis aren't really a real people. They don't really have, uh, they're lacking in their own history or their own culture. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like for that to, to, to just be done away with. Uh, it's uh, it's the wrong way to go because it's ahistorical uh, and it doesn't win Armenians any uh, sympathy from outside observers. So um, there, there's, um, you know, it's not to say that every grievance is equal. Um, I know everyone's always afraid of the uh, moderation fallacy or equating both sides. It, it, it doesn't matter. You know, you, everybody has the right to take a position in this conflict. I certainly have my own position in this conflict. But uh, we can take steps to understand each other, uh, to be able to talk about it, uh, even in this platform. You know, it's okay to take a position as long as you don't belittle the other side's history or you don't um, deny it. So um, I, I'd like to see, uh, you know, platforms where Armenians and Azerbaijanis are able to understand each other because as it stands right now, it doesn't seem like that that is the case. Uh, they're very content with uh, only uh, elevating the worst takes from the other side and then when there are people that are open to dialogue, uh, that's shut down and said, oh, no, well, I don't trust you because I saw so-and-so nationalists say this, and this is probably how you feel, too.
Thank you, Marat. I think you really captured um, some of the things that we've all kind of seen online being um, involved in the in the discourse um, of the conflict. So I definitely agree with a lot of the those points that you made. And uh, Julian, um, if you could go ahead and uh, find, uh, you know, give us your final answer uh, for this final question, and then we'll move on. I have not as difficult a task to those are on the left are my grandparents. Here we have my mother with my grandmother. Just to describe, I have not a difficult task of um, find a positive ending, which um, which I which I will manage. Um, yeah, what could they learn from each other? Well, I don't know whether this whether 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 one can generalize in such a way and, and say that Armenians should learn this and Azerbaijanis should should learn that. Mm, there is, of course, this narrative, which was which I heard often in my family, and as more, rather as an accused that like Armenians do think that they are superior, and, and Azerbaijanis are just like I don't know. And this is basically what Marat also now uh, said in other words, and this, those things are intertwined, those narratives, and they do exist, as I now learned in, the, in this conflict, was from the Armenian side, and those was those were those moments when I thought, oh, you are indeed both sided, and um, and that's just it's not productive. Um, so if Armenians can learn something, then it's certainly that um, the pride of the history is not leading us in the future. Um, it isn't. It uh, cannot. You know, um, this is again very easy to say for somebody who lives outside and has such a mixed heritage as I, and a bit more difficult for some, for an Armenian in Armenia. But I just think that focus on the past is um, not is 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 not productive. Is, 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 it will not lead to a good future. Armenians also now, of course, have this difficult task uh, to. Uh, I when when this all ended, uh, this 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 war now this current, I thought okay. One 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 could say one one now like now it would be the wi now it would be the wisest for everybody to just stop and to just leave the the, the arms and uh, to stop the attacks, and uh, it's one one and that means that, you know. Now we're more equal, and now no one shouldn't uh, now no one shouldn't do the mistake and start another war because there are there are plenty of those narratives in Armenia, especially now in the political in the last political weeks uh, that that was a topic. Yeah, like, uh, it was military rhetoric, which which I think which I think is absolutely not needed and which will not bring anybody anywhere. Azerbaijanis will have the very difficult task uh, to keep. The current state, Turkey, in with Erdogan out of the conflict as much as possible, because uh, Erdogan, Turkey is seen as a existential threat by Armenians and rightfully seen as a, as a threat because of the rhetorics which is which is used in Turkey. I think both countries will have to keep outside actors as outside uh, stakeholders as much as possible out because only that will help them help them. Um, coexist and and what I have seen and what is positive is that the diaspora is way less helpful in this than the people who are really there from one point of view they are of course in their microcosmos in their in their atmosphere be it in Armenia and Azerbaijan on the other side they know that those people there are real people and for the diaspora it is somehow some many people in the diaspora do need to uh, reassure themselves of their mostly Armenian roots by being being very very denying and and and, and, and rude 
you know, and this I don't see in in the in Armenia and Azerbaijan. That like one knows that those people are real, are real one has met them. Of course, there's a lot of propaganda, and that's why I think that democratic development is, is needed um, in, in both countries, especially in Azerbaijan. It must just not, it cannot be, it cannot be um politically you know beneficial to to make a to, to create an atmosphere of, of hate that, that just cannot be. But I think that now, as Marat said, coexistence will not be now, but it might be once. And I think it's possible. And I think that now is exactly a point to start because now there has been injustice in the 90s and there has been injustice now and for the other side justice. And I would say this is really the one-one situation when one could um, when one could stop and when one could develop first first for oneself and then maybe later together. Because sometimes I think from outside um, here in Germany, the, the people are so actually, after all, in the end of the day, they are so similar in many things, not only speaking about outer appearance, they're so similar. Like when they are in Germany, then then they are then they will speak to each other and not to the and not to the random German and 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 Armenians and Azerbaijanis are way more connected than Armenians and, you know, Swiss people or, or, or Spanish people. And this, uh, it's so ridiculous to see that. And of course, that's why I think that coexistence can be possible. Yeah. Unless it's made, it, unless somebody manages to make it a religious conflict, which I really hope will never happen, but which, you know, there is potential. If that is not the case and if one keeps the people, the, the actors from outside uh, away as much as possible, coexistence will be possible. So thank you, Julian, for, for your answer. And um, I, I definitely, as a Jew from, from the region, from a neighboring territory, I definitely echo a lot of those sentiments of like, everybody is so similar from this region, very, you know, lots of overlap in, in music and in culture and in, in food, right? Even amongst, even the religious divide. I mean, it's a very uh, religiously diverse region. So you know, as a Westerner, you would, you really want to see people to be able to overcome this, but, um, you know, unfortunately it's uh, not the case, but we can at least build some dialogue um, as we are doing today. So I'll go ahead and uh, move into the uh, portion um, and invite Arnold on to, to kind of go through some of the chat. Thank you everyone for staying with us for more than an hour. Now we are going to move on to the Q&A session. So we already have a couple of questions sent to us. So if Katie is here, uh, Katie has a question. I think she has, she has written the question and I think she's busy. You might just wanna read the question or I can- I see. Sure. Um, yeah, she wrote a few in, in a few places. Um, so Katie's question, uh, sometimes people say that the, in quotes, stronger allegiance, so to speak, depends on which parent is which ethnicity. Do the panelists think that there is any truth in this? Um, there might be uh, for uh, for myself. Uh, I mean, having my dad be Armenian means I have an Armenian last name. Um, 
part of it is also their personality. I think my dad, uh, he, uh, his academic background was in history. And um, I would not say I had a nationalist upbringing. Uh, if anything, he, uh, he always took the line that you, um, you know, it's important, you have to know your own history, but it's not enough to just know that you have to know the history of the people around you to understand how you fit into that. Um, but nevertheless, because he uh, came from a history background, he was more invested in um, talking to me about my heritage. Um, and he was, he's just somebody that, that that's more uh, engaged with that uh, than my mom was. My mom tends to be more of like a pan-Caucasus identity. So she, she would talk about it, but it wasn't like a uh, very narrowly from a, a narrow, excuse me, a narrowly Azerbaijani point of view. Um, so maybe, I mean, uh, maybe it does depend on which parent. I think in my case, it was more about the person, the personality that each of my parents had. Julian, do you have anything to add? Well, I, of course it shapes, like, of course it has an influence. Uh, which parent um, influences you in which way. And for me, really, the more I think there might have been, firstly, there was always said that the Armenian side is underrepresented. And secondly, there was also the family issue simply with the people in Azerbaijan. So there's absolutely no connection to Azerbaijan in our family, like no connection to the relatives because they're not, not in a very good relationship or to be, to say it, to say it openly, they're in a very bad relationship, but it's, again, my grandpa and his his family. And we, have, of course, a way better relationship to Armenian, to our Armenian relatives. And that, of course, also shapes, like, yeah, one, one can't also say it otherwise, let's say. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Julian. Uh, so now, moving on to the next question, is Jian here, if I'm pronouncing that correctly? Yes, I am here. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. We are having a heat wave in Seattle. Uh, and so... <laughs> um, oh, anyway, I heard Marat, about that, Janine. Have, yeah, yeah, you may have heard this. Um, My parents are is, yeah baking right now. It is epic. So it, it feels more like summer in the region, certainly. Um, well, thank you again to, to the speakers and the organizers for, for having such a wonderful discussion. And my question is essentially what I put in the, um, in the chat. And I know that both of you have spoken a bit about your families, but I would be interested to hear if you're comfortable sharing about how um, your relatives, perhaps more distant relatives, you know, maybe cousins, people that you are in touch with, uh, maybe more on, on, on social media, have um, like, what, what are the conversations that you've had with them particularly in this past year and um, how have those conversations evolved uh, if they have? And um, are, your, are your relatives, uh, again, perhaps more distant relatives, impacted by the fact that your families are, are mixed and do have these unique histories? Uh, and so I would be grateful to, to hear any of your thoughts on that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that, that's a great question. Um, so my family, uh, this is an area where I'm jealous of my wife uh, because she uh, 
has like a million aunts and uncles and, uh, and a million more cousins. And they all live here within one square mile of each other uh, in LA. My family is very different. I was an only child. Um, my, uh, my parents pretty much are my family and my grandma when she was alive. Uh, the rest of my extended family is kind of scattered all over the world. My uh, Armenian side, they, um, I, I really don't have any relatives that are in the Republic of Armenia uh, before or, or, or now. Uh, so because they were all in Baku, they had uh, all left just like we did. So I have you know, some family in Moscow. I have some family in Europe. I have uh, a few cousins that are scattered here. The thing is, none of them are like on a like first cousins, like say how my wife has where her first cousins are like her sisters. They're, you know, one of her best friends. So because of that distance, you know, we keep up familial, familial relations, but we aren't that close to where we're checking in with them every single day or that even that we're discussing this. My mom's side, my, um, you know, my uncle, uh, she has a brother. Uh, so my uncle lives, uh, he pretty much splits time between Moscow and Baku. That I would say is the relative that uh, she talks to the most. Of course, it's her brother, um, and he is very much like her. He doesn't. He's not uh, nationalist, and he also, I think, part of that is influenced by the fact that he spends time outside of Baku. So he recognizes that there's more to life than winning these. Uh, wars for just a little bit of nationalistic pride, uh, but, you know, remaining, uh, to, using that as a diversion away from uh, the poor standard of living in the country. So um, as for the rest of her family, my mom has visited Baku two times in my life. Uh, unfortunately, she's been the only one able to go. My dad and I won't go. She went twice. Um, one was when her mom passed away in Baku. Uh, another time was, uh, you know, just to go and visit uh, her brother. Um, but uh, she certainly has a lot of relatives still over there in Baku, just not ones that she keeps up with uh, very often. If I was to take a stab at it, I would wager that, yes, they are nationalist. Uh, they probably don't have good feelings about Armenians. That's just my guess. But uh, the conversation really does not have uh does not reach there very often in, in terms of the relatives that, that, that we keep in touch with. Thank you for the question. And I'm so glad C-Town's in the house from multiple people here. I'm going to, thank gonna you. Up, I'm going to follow up Paul's question. Did your mother have your, her maiden name on it? Is that how she was able to travel to Azerbaijan or did she have, did she have Guliyev? Yes. So she, um, she never took on my father's last name um, and this worked to her benefit when um, there, there wasn't any particular thing about it, but it just didn't happen. And then once the, the conflict started, uh, it was just like, okay, it was probably best that that happened. So that's how we were able to travel back and forth often. That's how she's able to uh, travel there now. Uh, but yes, she's always kept her Azerbaijani last name. Just for your information, my mom is married to Azerbaijani and she didn't take his last name too. So (laughs) independent Azerbaijani woman. Yeah. Julian, you want to add something to Gian's question uh, about? In my my family, there was always this narrative that the Armenian women never took the name of the husband because 
neither my grandma nor her um, nor her mother did. Um, well, yeah, for me, my cousin, um, my cousin is uh, the, my uncle is half half, and her mother is um, also um, half Azerbaijani. So my cousin, in the end of the day, um, has. Uh, bigger share uh, Azerbaijani and she also has um, she also had her grandmother who passed passed away uh, last year there and so she was also simply a lot of time in Azerbaijan and identifies uh, identifies certain certainly rather Azeri than, than Armenian uh, certainly and of course with her we had one one or the other talk and uh, it was also not not, not always that those are easy talks, um, but uh, I think they were also helpful for me. Um, yeah, well, how to say. Um, I also then have my mother's uh, cousins who are all in Yerevan, and especially with one with whom I'm very, you know, in very good relation, and whom I also have showed around in Berlin and stuff. And, of course, I see there the total Armenian point, like the Armenian viewpoint, you know, and and uh, I, I I feel empathic, um, and at the same time I know like this it won't work out, yeah, like like this it won't work out. I understand that this is this is how it must feel when you are in in Yerevan and, and surrounded by Armenian media and Armenians and and everything, but I know that this is not the way how 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 it will go, and yeah. Uh, what to say mm. yeah that's that's all i can basically say maybe if you have maybe you can if there's a if you can press uh, specify i can i can say something more but that's that's my experience with that yeah <laughs> that's uh good enough thank you julian um is armina here to ask her question herself um yes i'm here Hi, how, are, how Hi. is everyone? Um, my question is really uh, for, um, I guess for both of you. Marat, you said when you moved to LA, um, Armenians did not necessarily have a problem with your background and they accepted you just like any, everyone else. And I, and I remember recently there was a, a Turkish traveler that went to Armenia in March and he traveled around and told people he was Turkish and people were like, oh, okay, you know, that's cool. And didn't really give them a problem. So my question is, how do you, and, and, and of course, there are certain people in the diaspora and, and who found that quite shocking and, and other people that, you know, from the other side said that, that it's, you know, wow, how can Armenians not have a problem with the Turk or how can Armenians not have a problem with the Azerbaijani? So my question is, what is, it's of perceptions. So what is yours, well, Julian's, uh, Julian's perception of the other side? Like, was it, you know, shocking to like, let's say the Azerbaijani people that you knew or the community that you knew that Armenians were accepting? And how do Armenians themselves in your interaction with them perceive the other side in accepting them? So it's not of like the acceptance, right? I understand, you know, your situation. I understand the situation of this Turkish traveler in Armenia. Um, my question is more of perception. How do Azerbaijanis, in your view, think that Armenians will accept them? And how do Armenians believe that our Azerbaijanis will accept them. Does that make sense? Yes. Thanks. So um, the, the thing about this is that uh, both, both people are largely accepting. I would say online discourse poisons things so badly 
that um, when you come on, um, I mean, last episode of Bright Garden, I still had a great point. She mentioned how people that she knows personally in real life, uh, that she noticed the way that they were posting online was not necessarily indicative of how they really were. But when you come into the community, to this online community, you see that this is the language that's being spoken and suddenly you feel inclined to join in on it. Um, this is another sort of evolutionary aspect of humans. Uh, we, are, uh, we tend to conform and that's all of us because it's just simply a smarter survival strategy to be one with the pack rather than to veer off on your own. So when people would jump in to the online discourse, that's the language they see, that's the language they join in on. Um, my experience, and I know that uh, maybe Arno uh, has seen something similar, I know other people have, is that uh, people are a lot nicer in private on DMs than they are in public on their timeline. So I'll very often get um, like just someone who, uh, you know, their timeline is just the most vile, like hateful shit. <laughs> and you know, from a you know, just totally nationalist. And then in private on DM, they'll be like, oh, hey, I had Armenian uh, neighbors back in Baku. They were so nice. It was just like, what? Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think people are largely accepting. It's just so easy to uh, join in on uh, the lowest hanging fruit, which is, you know, uh, the hateful speech or just uh, broadly generalizing the other side because it makes you feel, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 sometimes it's very difficult for people to uh, deal with the fact that uh, this is a two-sided conflict, you know, and a war between two sides. It's so much easier to frame everything as um, good versus evil, oppressor versus oppressed. Uh, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys. And so, you know, once you go from there, uh, it, it the the language that follows uh, is, is very easy to uh, to jump into, but um, yeah, I mean, they, each side equally has people that are very skeptical about it. They um, you know either feel like you have some kind of ulterior motive for facilitating dialogue. You know, sometimes people will be like, <laughs> "So why do you want to do this? You know, what's your goal? You know, why do you want us to be friends? Why do you feel like we should?" move on from our pain like so everybody always thinks i'm some like sleeper agent from the other side uh but i'm really not <laughs> uh it's uh but in, in any can case you swear that you're not <laughs> what, what was that can you please swear that you're not yeah <laughs> yeah i swear um I, I would have to once you ask me i have to say it just like a cop um but the uh the thing is the people are largely uh accepting my experience with people in DMs or in private is so much more vastly different than the uh, performative virtue signaling that they often have to do when people, the other people from their side are around and they can't be perceived as giving in uh, or, or being open to dialogue. So uh, I, what I would say is appearances are very deceiving. Most people are very normal and accepting of it. Thank you, Marat. And yes, I have to agree on that, that people in private tend to be so much different. Some people, I mean, people who just constantly insult you or, you know, you know, repeat the same talking points. Suddenly I've had them DM me and say, oh, share this video. But like Armenians and Azerbaijanis, you know, being friendly or saying nice things to me. So it, it confuses me sometimes. 
uh, why they would be like that on the public platform, which you would think it would be the opposite. Uh, but uh, Julian, um, yourself. To, to answer to that, um, I think people want to, people, many people want to reassure themselves that they are part of a, a collective. And I don't know, I think it's comforting for most of the people, I would say, that they are part of some collective, which generally and will, will not let them down. And in the moment when you are kind of part of this collective, but you are somehow showing sympathy for another collective, then you risk not to be not to be accepted by the others and to be let down by yours. And mm-hmm. that's um, that's a very that's a very difficult situation for the people. And they and that explains a bit why there's this outside and this inside because most people are yeah, most 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 humans are are, are are normal humans, and they don't want. I don't know. They're not. They're not brutal, and yeah. Well, about that, I've, I I fear to to not repeat myself or something. But I I have had very very different meet meetings with people who either accept it or not, and also and also understand the Jewish side. I must say, like once I met somebody who was Palestinian and I said and then he asked me where, where I'm from you know and I also have this appearance like thought I might be like might also might also speak Arab or something I explained a bit and my father's Jewish that was absolutely awkward he was like he me he you know like he was like okay let's stop speaking and let's not let's not even try to become friends ever you know and I found it again very very sad um because here we kind of I, he might he might have his reasons and trauma there, yeah? but um, but um, one one can distinguish politics and 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 and, and hum, human relation. And then I had a meeting with a Turkish Turkish uh, grandpa in the cafe, drinking his his tea in Berlin, who asked me and my cousin about us. we were smaller, uh, where we are from, and of course whether we are Turkish. And I was like, no, it's a bit more complicated. And then he was like, oh, politics is politics, you know. This is all politics. Like we are all humans, you know. And I, this was like such a such a nice. And it's like over over ten years ago, and it's such a nice meeting. It stays forever. And then this conflict, I hope, like, oh God, hopefully he's not now. I don't know. Hopefully he didn't get too much Erdogan like in, in the last in, in the last years, and now is like thinking absolutely differently and all that. <sighs> It's all about yeah it's all about your bubble i'd say and and just just touching on uh, armenia's written original question so i don't know if you've had any experience in the other side seeing you be accepted by your other part of your community um like where you live so how, how do they perceive that for example you being accepted by armenians or you being accepted by azerbaijanis or even your other identities um if you are mixed Jewish Armenian Azeri, then it's not the terms you're thinking. I would say, like, uh, you are you're accepted by many, and at the same time, fully, you're also not part of them. You know, and it's okay. I, I learned to live with that. Um, and um, and again, this has something to do with collective, like with the collective thinking, and 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 then again, um, also the most. I would say that the most. I don't know, the positive perception is mostly based also on how, whether we got socialized in, in the same place or not, you know? Like somebody grew up in, in, in somebody with some migration history grew up in Germany. Um, maybe he will be from Alban- Albania, let's say, or from, from Kosovo. 
Um, we have absolutely nothing in common in terms of uh, history and language, but we will we will very well connect. And, and some Armenian from Armenia who is uh, I don't know nationalist and who uh, always was in Yerevan, we will not understand each other. Right? Like, I think it's very much about socialization. Yeah. Thank you. I hope Julian. this is. A, I hope this went a bit closer to the question. Yeah. It was yes. Uh, very relevant. Uh, thank you, Julian. Uh, is there anyone else who has a question in the audience? Um, could I add or like ask something? Before sure. We wrap up? Of course. Uh, Julian, you kind of mentioned something and when uh, you, you both were talking about how during this last war, um, just kind of being like reminded of like this own question of your identity or that that topic is kind of coming back up again because now it's like you have to pick a side and it's a clear side now. And you said it was like this constant pullback. Um, and personally for me, like that's how I was because I live in Los Angeles and that's how I felt because everywhere you would go, I'm Armenian. So I would see like, let's say like an Artsakh flag or just kind of hearing certain things like people walking by in the market saying just like something like that randomly. So it was almost like everywhere I was going, I'm being reminded of not only like what my own identity, but just what is happening. And it's like, you have your own personal like way of approaching the conflict or your own opinions, but there is now this narrative maybe that's trying to be pushed onto you almost sometimes. And it, it really does feel like a pullback. It's like this constant tug of war. So I, I hated that <laughs> like during the last, like this last war, because I didn't want to go out. Like I would avoid Glendale Burbank. Like I just did not want to like see anything because it felt, it was like a struggle. Like I don't want to kind of like play into this basic, like, like the narrative that the masses are kind of just like talking about or, or using, but yeah, it was a very weird back and forth. So when you said that, it just kind of resonated with me and the whole question of just That's like, identity is very interesting with uh for I think both of us like Armenians and Azerbaijanis like it's just a very interesting topic uh, there's a there's a very good quote from uh, Marcel Rechranitsky he was a literature criti uh, critic in Germany came he came from he was a Polish Jew um survived concentration camp and then he was asked uh something again about his identity and he said you know I'm Jew mostly when there are anti-Semites around. And, but they exactly, those anti-Semites, they pull you back. Like you are just a human and you talk and you are interested in literature or you do environmental law and, and you are in Germany or in Los Angeles and they pull you back. What's your stance? And you, you have a stance, you cannot not. You, 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 have this, you have this history Yeah, it's like, you cannot deny it. You cannot just, it doesn't work. And that's, yeah, that's that's why I'm sometimes uh, sometimes envious of people who don't have all this complex uh, background. But you know, I'm just I'm just bubbling. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is interesting and it's a blessing in the end of the day. Can I add something? Oh. Can I add something? Go ahead. Uh, about the previous question, and you know, when when you ask the general conversation or general uh, rhetoric on both sides is that the other side is bad, right? Uh, and then when there's a personal contact, in most of the cases, we see that there is milder or more understanding approach, right? So I think that's very telling about the uh, about the situation is that 
the nationalism on both sides are built on anti-Armenia or anti-Azerbaijani. So it's not about nationalism or patriotism, it's about hating the other side, as it was before the World War II uh, between Germany and France. You know, Germany's nationalism were built on anti-France and, and, the, and the vice versa. Mm -hmm. And then when there, is, when there is no human contact, as what happened after the 90s, uh, we are facing the situation that we're facing now. Marat. Marat was saying something and Julian wants to say something. Oh, um, yeah, I, I was going to say, I, um, it, as I mentioned, I've always been very comfortable speaking about being both Armenian and Azerbaijani. Um, now, I mean, I, I wasn't on Glen Oaks Boulevard with one on one side of our Armenian flag and another side of Azerbaijani flag. And just I'm not trying to get into people's faces with it or piss anyone off. But I've always been very comfortable when I'm asked. And the thing about the war, uh, just as An Andrea mentioned, uh, things are a little different. Now I, now I know that whenever it's brought up, the following question is going to be my stance on the war or my thoughts on it. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not looking forward to that, but I know that, that that's what's, that's what's going to happen. Um, so it's, uh, you know, the, the war, um, it, uh, it, it brings it in, 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 into context of, uh, it, it reminds everyone to, to take a side. You know, you can no longer be just mixed uh, as you were before. Thank you, Marat. Um, Ilkin, uh, you have your hand up. You want to say something? Yes, thank you very much. Just a minute. All right. So uh, thanks a lot uh, for this discussion. It was very interesting. My question is, it can't, can't be sound a bit weird because I do not have um, I do not have any mixed background. I am fully from Shamacha, and I'm glad that you are some extent from also Shamacha. And my question is, it seems that you are even more interested in the conflict in, in Karabakh issue than me as an Azerbaijani citizen. And my question is, I, I, I try to understand your motivation as as self-interest understood in a very, very, very narrow sense, not just a psychological relief that, that people from your parents' region live well and coexist together. But like, would you be interested in visiting the region once all this is over and you can move to Azerbaijan, even though your surname is Gregorian or something like that? So are you really interested in investing in the region in the sense moving here and knowing it more better or uh, because uh, I find it very fascinating that you are interested in this region that <laughs> you are only related to your parents. I don't have the same feelings towards the uh, original place of my parents. That's what I'm trying to understand. Is it just psychological relief or is it really uh, to some extent uh, uh, in your interest, in self-interest understood in a very uh, a narrow material way? Thank you. Uh I, I love this question uh, because now we're getting down to like real philosophical, like, does it, does anything even matter? Um, yeah. I, uh, when you say uh, move there, you mean, I assume you mean just visit, right? I absolutely would like to visit as non-nationalist as I am. Um, I'm extremely fascinated with my own cultures uh, and origins uh, that is, you know, it comes to me from my father who knows uh, everything about Armenia inside and out. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've just projected that to, to both sides 
um, of, of my ancestry. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I'm somebody who grew up uh, very interested uh, in history uh, and uh, different world cultures. Um, and I, uh, even though I've, I've grown up in the U.S., I've always felt uh, a connection to, to, where, to where I'm from and also, uh, of course, wanting them to do well. And so uh, this, sorry, I'm outside, so there's just like flies uh, all around. Uh, because I've, um, because of my interest in that sense, I couldn't help but always uh, follow the progress of this uh, conflict in that way. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, from what I know, you're, uh, I don't know if it's in, uh, in, in, informed by your own personal philosophy. I mean, I follow you on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if it's just uh, a lack of interest in a national sense uh, for you. Uh, but I, uh, as silly as I find nationalism, I can't help but still uh, have a, a closeness and connection to to where I'm from um, in, in, in a personal level. Part of it might be because I'm not allowed or not able to go there or I haven't been to Armenia yet, you know, so um, maybe there is a forbidden fruit aspect to it. Uh, but I, I think I think that'll always uh, be, be within me. Thank you for the question, though. Great question. Julian, yourself? Yeah. Very good question. Very good question. A weak point, I would say. Um, I mean, without the Karabakh conflict, um, my family's history would be a different one, um, fully, and especially in the 90s. And also with the result that maybe nobody would have come to Germany and maybe I wouldn't exist. But it's, that's a different. That's a different story. But I would say, yeah, um, it's like it was decisive. Um, this this conflict and that it happened and in a, in a very i don't know uh, it changed everything and and the life for for my family uh, wouldn't have been the same wouldn't have been the same if there there was no was no conflict or it wasn't exactly in the 90s and i think nowadays yeah of course like i i mean i don't know whether whether that was already said but it's also a point where i'm really not biased but i actually have never managed to be in the region neither in Armenia nor in Azerbaijan and also not in Artsakh. So um, that's why also like I've heard of, often like, oh, you don't know anything. You haven't been there. That's why I speak also about identity and not about, I don't know, my geopolitical knowledge and, so, and my, my, my knowledge about of, of, uh, of mentality or something. I speak about myself. Um, my girlfriend, for example, is from Latvia and Latvia has, has, has been has also suffered in, in Soviet occupation, as they call it, and has suffered in, in the world wars, both of them. And um, and I simply see how countries can develop if they don't if they don't have those those border and those territorial issues. And if also if they if they manage to settle and if they manage to also make um, compromises, because also Latvia and Russia had territorial issues, but they simply they have a compromise. They, and and the development goes of this region. I'm not speaking only about I don't know. Uh, economic growth or something. I'm speaking really about simply a dignified life for the people there, and the fact that I can now go on the plane, go to Latvia, and and enjoy enjoy the life there. As, uh, I'll say as a EU citizen in my case, and of course I would, I, I would be very happy if this same was possible for me to go to Yerevan, then then to go on a train and drive. This is honestly my dream. Right? I could go from Yerevan in a train. And then and, and go to Baku overnight or something. And this is simply not possible. And this is an illusion by now, an utopia. But um, I would say this would this this would close a wound, yeah, uh, a very very deep one. So 
so that's that's maybe the reason yeah but i don't have any particular like i don't know interest from from my career or, or my life it's more like this idea that's always good yeah to Wilkin's point what i've observed here um is especially and, and even in, in my own family with my own kids growing up is that when you're abroad when you're in foreign countries some people tend to be more nationalistic than when they're in azerbaijan uh more religious than, than they're in azerbaijan i, I can't tell about armenia so that, there is that there is that tendency i don't think that applies to marat or julian but in general uh there is that observation I'd also like to make a comment because I think this, um, when you live in the West, it kind of, regardless of what you're commenting on, if it's something like a international or foreign issue and you have a connection to a particular region, people say, oh, okay, well, you're American. Why don't, why aren't you just identifying as an American? And I think it's when you're in a country that's, you know, not the region that, that you're born in or not the region of your family, often people from outside always remind you that you are not from here, that you are still a foreigner. Um, you know, I look the way that I look, right? I don't look like maybe somebody's typical image of, of an American, even though that is now changing and that's much more broad, um, or my name is my name, my last name is my last name. And so, um, you know, most of the time people, for, for example, in, in my case, people just assume I'm Russian because, um, and, and for the North Caucasus specifically, Dagestan is uh, a, an autom autonomous republic in uh, Russia. So you can kind of understand why people would make that association. But then to somebody who understands the region, they immediately ask me about what do I think about Chechnya? You know, or even they will ask me about Karabakh because, okay, now they make an association between the Caucasus or, um, and then when I say Jewish, what, what is your opinion on Israel and, and Palestine or, or something like that. So it's like you're always being pulled, kind of like uh, Julian said, you're always being pulled back, even though in your regular life you are, you know, living in, in the West, uh, working in the West, your primary language of communication is, you know, despite I, I speak Russian, for example, in my household, but um, so you're always being reminded of the fact that you are not from the place that is actually your, your newfound home. And I think that kind of plays with you a little bit psychologically as well. Um, so that's kind of just to kind of sum up why um, people who may not be still directly connected to, to uh, a region in the sense that they live and work there might still have, have some sort of feelings because they're almost forced into those feelings by the, the surrounding people. Thank you. Lira, um, you wanted to say something about it? Sorry, I, I was just interjecting to say great point, Lara. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So for uh, what should be uh, the last question, let us go to Adam. You have your hand up. Oh, thanks, Ahmed. Uh, I won't show my face because uh, I'm dead sick in bed. Um, oh, <laughs> so that's apologies true. on that. <laughs> that's right. Um, but my uh, my question is is uh, is from Marat, and it kind of sends the same point as like Ilkin was making, but much more of like a downer point. So sorry, I'm not going to be as uh, upbeat, but Mara, you, you mentioned uh, like, you know, the people that would want to, you know, that should have an impact on, on like the reconciliation and be that people that would be um, most affected 
by by the conflict is, is the people that would be um that have something to gain and also something to lose and i i agree wholeheartedly you know that's that's going to be the you know that's where all of this has to come from we can't really do much about it in diaspora but um wouldn't you say you know especially from like say perspective of your father you know that your father has something to lose in in having his you know he was concerned about the entire war having making sure that he sees his ancestral village like the village that he's from on the same side because it's like that was the same thing with me and my dad we just wanted to make sure that our um you know our our home village martuni like stayed on stayed on the armenian side not just for you know our purposes of, of wanting it there but also our families there too you know even though we can't don't have any more stake in the game we left the country for this very reason but we still wanted for personal reasons like we had something to lose you don't have to answer i know it's super personal no that's but... uh that's a great question hi by the way uh, adam is my homie <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh that that is a great question and that's the difficulty um sometimes i talk to him you know of is it really a matter of what the sovereign government that uh that the village belongs to that's most important or would would it work if those areas were armenian settled and had a degree of autonomy Um, and I, I'm not saying that's the position that I want. I, I, I'm just picking his brain, right? To just see, to get at, at the heart of what's most important for him. But, you know, as it stands now, uh, he's not visiting there anyway. Um, and even w when it was, uh, you know, comfortably under our Armenian control, um, he, you know, needed this war to be a reminder of the fact that he never got to visit. So, um, when when uh countries are stable and they're doing well and there's um there's interstate uh or international exchange of goods and travel uh these sorts of uh questions of am i allowed to am i not allowed to don't come up uh these questions only come up when it's all or nothing either we will own this and we'll be able to comfortably go there or you know there's a 50 50 shot we won't own this at all and I won't be able to step foot into it. So, um, you know, for, uh, for me, I, I feel like some people measure the country's success as a, uh, by, as a measure of the square feet that it occupies. Uh, it's a very medieval uh, way of looking at it in my eyes. I'd much rather have a country that's doing well that's modernized and diversified its economy rather than uh, like some 13th century uh, agrarian perspective of, okay, well, we have this land and uh, we'll have this land and we have this square kilometer and we have this hill. Um, I know sometimes those things matter from a military perspective um, and also just from a symbolic nationalist perspective. But um, for somebody like my dad, you know, where he has a personal connection to it and he would like to just go there and touch the soil and uh, climb up a hill that, you know, his own father and grandfather likely climbed up. Uh, that is not a question of sovereign borders. That is a question of just the freedom to be able to come there and do it. it brings Julian, 
it brings me to a point that the there is an insecurity on both ethnic ethnic groups, but that insecurity doesn't stem from the physical insecurity. It's more psychological insecurity. That's why, you know, your dad probably didn't visit back then, and now because of the physical insecurity. So that's what we have to provide the the psychological security so that both nations can coexist. Julian, you wanted to express your thoughts about what Aram said. I actually thought. No, actually, I thought the question was only to Marat, so I didn't really get. Okay. Like, I would need it. I would need it either again, or that's how I understood it, just to Marat. Okay. It's, if if you had thoughts, you you know, Julian, you, you can chime in. It's totally fine. I I liked what you've said this entire time. So, but it was it was more pointed towards Marat because of uh, what he said earlier. Okay. Um, Diego, uh, you wanted to say something? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to uh, make like a small comment and maybe a question as well. Uh, because this meeting, this topic is one of the first topics we wanted to do when we started this project back with Aidan and Arnold many months ago. And we only had Marat, you know, he was like our unicorn and we were like constantly trying to find the other uh, guest for this meeting. And we were uh, for months looking for another mixed person. Uh, most of them that, you know, the ones that we could find more easily were in Russia and many of them just Russian speaking. Um, so then, well, luckily uh, Julian uh, appeared in our lives, but uh, just this reflection, I'm just making it because I was just curious if you guys know any other mixed people that, you know, maybe don't necessarily uh, say they're mixed, you know, they, if they feel more Armenian or more Azerbaijani, they just identify as one because that happened to us as well. Like we, we will hear about some mixed people, for example, in Azerbaijan, but they will only identify, uh, you know, um, they wouldn't like say they're half Armenian, you know, they will just say they're Azerbaijani. Um, so yeah, since you are, guys are mixed, maybe you have had some experiences meeting other mixed people that, you know, maybe don't identify as, I mean, don't openly identify as mixed, so to say. I'm just being uh, Katie's voice here because she's in the beach. She cannot speak. She says there are a lot of that examples in Seattle, but most wouldn't want to speak publicly. Yeah, I, um, I was going to say just uh, in Seattle, I knew of uh, definitely four people my age that were the same mix. Um, I don't, they're probably not as um, invested or as interested in geopolitics or this conflict for me to um, reliably trust they'd want to uh, be a part of the project. But um, you're just letting you know that even in Seattle with our small community, I knew of a few people with the same mix. I have thought now a bit and I must admit, I don't know anybody, um, of course, apart from my cousin. Um, but uh, that also has a lot to do with the fact there's really, like, I suppose in the Armenian community, one won't find somebody who would like to speak publicly about it if there is. And also I'm not that much connected to neither the Armenian or the Azari community in Berlin. And they are small. They're small. It's not comparable to the US and it's not comparable to LA. Uh, any <laughs> to LA, certainly not. So, no, I don't actually. I don't actually. Know. But I still didn't imagine that it would be so difficult to find somebody. So I feel very honored. <laughs> well, there's this famous German 
motivational speaker called Elmar Rassi. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he he's half, he's your mix as well, so to say. Elmar? Elmar Rassi, like never heard never heard we, we actually reached out to him as well you know we will reach out to everyone who we found in Los Alf and he was okay. he was our third unicorn yeah yeah <laughs> but no I mean this question or comment I just wanted to say as well as to thank you guys again because not only for joining the meeting but also like for willing willingly be able to you know like um, say that you're mixed and all of this for some people it's not as easy and or you know maybe they don't want it so it actually takes also some some bravery from your part. So I, I wanted to thank that as well. Yes, you you all spoke also very intelligently um, and with a lot of knowledge of, of the history and, and the background. So I think, you know, we ended up finding the right people in, in that sense because, you know, perhaps other people are just not as, you know, connected to, to, to that information um, the way that the, the two of you are. And I think it goes back maybe a little bit to the previous question about, why are you speaking about this in the first place being kind of displaced? It's that maybe you don't necessarily represent all of the, the, the mixed people in the sense that, you know, people are just going about their lives. They're not really allowing the conflict to, uh, to influence them in, in that way, but it is an important perspective also to, to make sure that we are able to hear and, and it is, it, it's hopeful in a lot of ways as well. All right. So now we have, come to the end of our program uh i would like to invite julian and marat if they have any closing remarks they want to say marat you were always um, the first no. yeah um no i feel like I, I spoke my piece um follow me on twitter <laughs> marat <Karinovich. laughs> i tweet about armenian azerbaijani stuff most of it is lighthearted. Uh, but thank you to everyone who came. Uh, was, uh, this was great. Julian? Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter. You'll read about uh, German environmental politics and hopefully not about the conflict because that's when stuff gets bad. Um, yeah, Rauf mentioned uh, Germany and France. And that's something which I wanted to mention but forgot to mention. And it's super important because here nobody, I don't know how it's in France, but here nobody has ever imagined um before the before you know before the 50s that there will be not only peace but also real friendship like there are still those jokes on french people because you know french people i don't know they i don't know they fail in war or something like there are many of those jokes so there is this still but there, nobody would ever come to the idea like yeah let's get erzas back you know that's a very good idea nobody would come to that and the key was that the key was that simply the communication was so good and Germans can drive there and Germans can buy good, good cheese there because apparently in Germany we don't have good cheese. Um, yeah, this is something which I just wanted to leave here because I think this is very helpful. Lira, you've done a great job today as a co-host. Do you want to say something? Um, no, I guess um, just follow me on Twitter as well if you want. I, I've been, um, I, I do get involved in the discussions um, on the Israel-Palestine conflict as well, but everything is lighthearted and I don't take any particular stances, just want to see more dialogue across all ethnicities, all cultures, and just more understanding. I think um, in a lot of ways, I, I am against, uh, you know, strong nationalism, but we also do have a lot, you know, to be proud of, um, despite the fact that 
we all live in the West, you know, we have great food, we have great music, a great literature. And, you know, to just assume that the, you know, the cultures of the West necessarily, it's, it's a good thing, but it's, it's also great to be able to infuse your own, um, your own into, into your newfound homeland. So I, I definitely want to see a more globalized, a more pluralistic future where we can all just explore each other's nations and each other's cuisines and just be able to, you know, bond over what we have in, in common. So, yeah. Thank you, Lyra. Uh, my co-organizers and partners, Diego or Ralph. I just want to thank everyone who attended, who participated, who asked questions. We really appreciate it. We want to see you guys again in our next meeting and we'll have our flyer. Uh, Lara, special thanks to you for being a perfect co-host and we'll have you again. And my uh, permanent co-host, thank you again for having me on your team. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you both. Thank you all. Diego. I already said my, my part. Okay. So thank you all once again. I also want to thank you, Marat and Julian. Um, very interesting conversations, very interesting perspectives, given your backgrounds. Thank you to our audience. Thanks for everyone being who's involved with Bright Garden. I see Lira, Andrea, Fidan, and more I'm not seeing right now. Uh, thanks to my um, co-organizers, Rolf and Diego. And uh, last time I even forgot to mention Diego, but he's actually he actually has been doing most of the work in organizing and everything which doesn't meet the eye during the meeting. So thank you, Diego, for keeping everything together most of the time while I'm a little more unorganized probably. Uh, and thank you. Thanks to everyone who joined the meeting. So thank cheers, Fo follow us on social media, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, uh, Bright Garden Voices, you can find us and hope to see you all next time. Thank you and cheers. Bye. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye -bye. Thank you, guys. Bye.